Okay, Mod Katan Per Gimel Mishnah Gimel. This is one of those Mishnahs that have a long list of different halachic phenomena, many of which are probably fairly unfamiliar. So I'll have to explain each one in turn. The topic is writing on Cholamoed, which of course is a malacha and therefore would normally be forbidden. For Tzorah Hamod, you could write more in the halacha lamais at the end of this. The point here of our Mishnah is um, things that you could write in a normal way because of the being a Dovar. Ha'avid, something which, which represents an irretrievable loss, and therefore one can do it um, writing in the normal way, even as a Maisa Uman, writing done by a calligrapher with a sofer, etc. All that stuff would be acceptable um, if you're doing it for the sake of something which is a davra avid, an irretrievable loss, and this mission will list all or many of those possibilities. The mission says, The following is a list of things that may be written. On because they are each one in their own right, a davra avid. The verse is kidushe nashim. This is referring to the fact that when women, when a man does kiddushin with a woman, he has different, he has three different mechanisms which he can use. The most familiar to us is called kesef. He gives her the ring or something else worth a pruta or more, and says hariat mukudesh at li. And by her accepting that ring, um, or whatever the object is, then she becomes mukudeshes, meaning that she now is. Um, forbidden to everyone else in the world like an Ashish Ish. Um, and another way of affecting that is through a star, as the first Mishnah in Kedushan says. So the star is what we're talking about here in this Mishnah. A person could write down that contract, a star, which says, by accepting this contract, you agree to be my wife, Kedushan. And that's considered a davra avid because you shouldn't wait. You can't wait necessarily until after cholamoa to get engaged because in the meantime someone else may snap up your would-be fiance and therefore you got to get her first. And therefore, if you don't have a pruta or shava pruta, you want to use a, a star and said you may do so. It's considered a davra avid. Second of all, you have gitin, a get, of course, a bill of divorce. Normally, one would say, "Gosh, can you wait till after cholamoa?" Um, but maybe you can't. Like, for example, let's say this fellow um, is leaving in the middle of Pesach to go on a trip overseas via boat. Um, in the meantime, he might get lost at sea, and then the poor woman who would be divorced from him um, will now be an aguna and trapped and can't marry someone else. And therefore, the lach is considered a davra avid, and so she, uh, he may have the get, the bill of divorce, written so she can be free, even on Cholomot. Next, you have Vishovarin. A shovar is a receipt. We're referring here to the receipt that a debtor gets when he pays back his debt. So that's, for example, Reuven loaned 100 shekels to Shimon. Um, when Shimon pays him back, he has to get back uh, like a receipt that confirms that the debt was repaid. This is essential so that in you know some years' time, Reuven doesn't knock on Shimon's door and say, hey, I still have to collect, I want to collect that debt because Shimon will have a receipt saying he paid. He paid it off. So it's essential that he gets that. And um, since it's a davar of it, because it could be forgotten, and the witnesses who see it being paid back could get lost, or whatever the story is, therefore the shovar, the receipt to, of repaying a debt, may be written on cholamod. And of course, it's a davar of it, and as much as the lender certainly should take the money when he can, you never know when the bar will be able to pay in the future. Next, we have the diatiki. This is referring to a case where a person is on his deathbed, and the rule is that someone who's a shchiv meira on his deathbed, as you learn in Masechus Peah, so if he didn't write a formal will, what he says in terms of the, the 
dispossession, the bequeathment of his assets, is binding as if he wrote it down. This is a rabbinic enactment to ensure he doesn't panic that he hasn't sorted out his affairs, and therefore he, you know, in his grief of not doing things properly, um, that lest that bring his death sooner. Um, so we say, don't worry, everything's fine, just say what you need to get done and it'll be taken care of. So what happens is, this person's on his deathbed, the Shechid and he's saying, I want to donate, I want to give my farm to Johnny. So then people have to write down, the witnesses will write down and say, oh, the farm goes to Johnny, so then nothing should be forgotten or lost. And of course, if that wouldn't happen, poor Johnny could lose out the upper of it. And therefore, the diatiki, the document which records these verbal commitments and I'll call them bequeathments, of the Shechid the person on his deathbed, can be written down. Next, you have the Matana, just a generic gift. So the story is that the guy's not on any deathbed. He just says he wants to give the farm to Johnny. Johnny wants to receive the farm. Johnny wants some sort of contract to confirm that it's done so that it's recorded properly so that sometime later there's no confusion over who owns the farm um, and that people can't, you know, whatever it is. So therefore, that being the case, um, Johnny can ensure that the Matana, the gifted farm, can be recorded formally as a gift in a document. Next, you have prusbolin. The prusbol, you recall from Masechashvias, is the mechanism by which um, Hillel enabled people who loaned money should not um, lose out on re- the ability to recollect their loans after the Shemitah year is over. The Torah requires people to donate, excuse me, to, to lend money. It also says when the Shemitah year is over, all loans are totally released. And, and the borrowers aren't legally bound to repay those loans. Hillel observed people weren't lending anymore for fear that they wouldn't get repaid back. Therefore, ultimately, the borrowers, the poor people, were suffering because they couldn't get free loans. And therefore, Hillel, Hillel enacted the Takana of the Prisbol, which said that the lender um, could assign his loans over to a Bezdin, and the Bezdin would collect on his behalf, since loans that are for the Bezdin to collect uh, are not released at the, in the end of the Shemitah year, so therefore that would allow people to feel comfortable making loans, and therefore ultimately the poor people would benefit because they could get loans um, even close to the Shemitah year. The thing is, what happens if a person, let's say, is, you know, he needs a Bezdin? So let's say he finds himself during Cholomod uh, Pesach around the Bezdin, but from here he's going to Timbuktu on safari, um, and uh, he might not see a Bezdin again until after the Shemitah year is over. Now we're in the Cholomod of Pesach of the Shemitah year, let's say. So, what can he do? He can write a prisbal now during Cholamod because alternatively he would suffer the Davra Avad, the irretrievable loss of not being able to collect on all his loans. Next, you have Igros Shum. This is some sort of contract or document that confirms an appraisal. We're referring to here a case where a Bezdin, a court, um, seizes someone else's property to pay back a loan or whatever obligation that he has and they will then give him some sort of document which confirms that you know you owed a million dollars we seized your farm it was worth six hundred thousand dollars and this document confirms that it was worth six hundred thousand dollars that you pay back so there's a process as far as shuma goes of the appraisal but whatever it is this is a document which confirms the appraisal and the value of what was seized by the courts so since of course the davra of it because if you don't write it now Bad things can happen later on if everyone doesn't get back together again. Therefore, it can be written on Cholamod because of a Davra of a the irretrievable loss that the the person who's having his possessions expropriated from him um, would suffer. Next, you have Igros Mazon. So, Igros Mazon refers to, literally means like food letters. I can't translate that better than that. It's referring to a case, it's actually two Pshatim brought down on the Bartonura. The first uh, case 
is where a person passed away and the courts got involved to um, liquidate some of his assets in order to obtain funds to pay for the mazonos, the food of his wife and daughters. So the person to whom the Bezdin sells that asset from the estate, um, that, that, that purchaser needs a contract that shows that you know he now owns whatever he purchased um, and he gave money in exchange so that the women could have food to eat. The point is he needs a sort of contract that shows that he now owns it from the estate. So that's called the Igeras Mazen, according to the first shot. The second shot is where a person commits to his wife that he will support her daughter from a previous marriage. Such as he says, you know, I'll support your daughter for three years or something. So that commitment um, is codified in a contract, and that's called Igeras Mazon, a food contract, if you will. Um, next, you have Shtare Chalitza Umeunim. Those are packageable, we'll take them one at a time. The Shtar Chalitza, you could think of something as like a as a bill of divorce, like a, like a get, it's the same idea. The Chalitza is required, you recall, a woman who was left as a widow and her she didn't have any children. So her husband, who's now the late husband, um, doesn't have a continuation of his line, and therefore the mitzvah is for the late husband's brother to either do yibum, I'll call that marry the widow, or chalitza, which is like some kind of alternate to divorce or severing a connection to that to that widow. It involves taking off the shoe and spitting on the floor, etc. In any case, putting that all aside, the point is that the woman who's the widow, in order to be able to be free to marry whoever she wants, has to have a document which confirms she no longer has this zika, this connection to her ex-brother-in-law. And that will only happen once they perform the chalitza um, procedure and she gets this contract that says she has a done it. So therefore she gets the shtar chalitza. And of course, if this is done during Kolomod, she needs it then and there because who knows what will happen next. And if she can't have the document, she won't be able to remarry. That's certainly a dover of it. Um, kind of similar is the me'unim. This is also a shtar me'unim. Uh, in the time of the Mishnah, it was sort of, and, and the chumash before that, it was more or less inconceivable for a, a, a woman or a, certainly a girl to be um, without a father and without a husband and to be safe. And therefore the assumption is that every Young girl would need to be attached to some 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 man and his home. I understand times have changed, but that's the setup of the of the Chumash and the Mishnah, and that's the assumption. So that being the case, if let's say a girl's father dies and she is a minor, she's eleven years old. So now, who's going to ensure that nothing untoward happens to her? There's no father around to protect her. The problem is she's too young to get married. She can't legally get married. She's not bas mitzvah. Her mother's not empowered to marry her off, etc. So the rabbis came in and said that a mother or older brother could marry off the the sister, who um, the, the orphan sister, if you will, the orphan girl, um, and they can do that. But that, of course, they would accept kedushin on her behalf, and she becomes married to some men. But it's only rabbinic in nature, and certainly, if she doesn't like her new husband, she can reject him. That's called miyun rejection, and she can reject him while she's still young as a minor and get out of that marriage. But if she does, she gets something which is sort of analogous to a a get to show that she while well, yes she was married now she's free agent to marry whoever she wants and that contract that document that shows that she's free is called the star miyun and the point is if this girl does the miyun rejection of her husband on Cholamoed will immediately write her a star miyun so she has that and so she can marry whoever she wants next you have starry berurin 
This is referring to a case where there are two litigants, Reuven and Shimon, they can't agree on the Bezdin, who should try their case, so what do they do? Reuven says he picks a dine, you know, Reuven's rabbi, and Shimon picks a dine, a judge that's called Shimon's rabbi, and then the two judges, the rabbis, pick a third judge um, to make the tribunal the Bezdin of three, and then that's and then that will be codified into a contract that binds everybody together. That's called the Shtari Barun, and that ensures that everyone that their court case can proceed. And the since uh, litigants tend to be quite slippery fish, we want to pin everyone down to a commitment to do this now while we can, unless they change their minds later on. And therefore, it's a Dabra Avid to the other litigant, and therefore, you can write Shtari Barun on Cholomoed. Next, you've got the um, Gzeros Bezdin. If the Bezdin, the local courts, want to promulgate some new ruling, they can write it out and send it out on Cholomoed if that's appropriate. And in so doing, they can write things down on Cholomoed because Davra Avid, if they don't write that now, it could be forgotten. Next you have Igros Shel Rashus or Rishus. There are two Gersos, two Pshatim here. If it's Igros Shel Rashus, that means with the Kamats beneath it, Rashus. So then... The point is, this is like the government. So let's say you have a government that said some edict, and the edict is going out and during Cholomoed. They can write it down to send out the news around the country, whatever it is, and that's going to be acceptable, lest it be forgotten or lost, and so on. It's going to be written down. The alternative is Igros Shel Rishus, the Rishus now with a Shiva. Rishus meaning like kind of like optional, voluntary, as opposed to obligatory. And the point here is just a voluntary letter, meaning you just want to write a letter to your friend, say, hey, how are you doing? So that's going to be, according to that, Gears will be permitted on Cholomoy. The reason why is because now is the time to do that. Um, it's a voluntary letter, but it's now the time because you want to do it for the sake of the Moed. And um, there could be a shot of, of Dover Avid, perhaps, that it's sort of now or never. Um, in any case, the halacha is on this last point that the Mechaber Paskins also that Igros shall Rishus are permitted to write on Cholomoid, voluntary letters you can write on Cholomoid. The Ramah says not to do it without a shinui. That means you write it in an unusual way, like holding the pen in your left hand or the paper at a diagonal and so on. Um, and that's how Ashkenazim shouldn't be noheg. But Lahalacha, we, Bismanazet, Ashkenazim, are certainly, and all the most of Sephardim, are lenient and do write on Cholomoid. But according for Ashkenazim, only with a shinui, holding the pen in an unusual way with the paper such that the finished product is evidently, had evidently been done with the shinui. It doesn't look like it normally should look.